When I was first called into ministry, specifically being a pastor, I began in the youth ministry, what we call Opio here at Ohana Church. And what I started to do is I wanted to learn how to lead teenagers because I was still considered a teenager. I was 18 years old, freshly out of high school. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, our pastor and pastoral team had the audacity to allow me to shepherd and oversee our youth ministry. And so what I did, like any person would do, if you're starting anything, you want to go to the source of those you're leading. So the source of those I was leading was uh, the parents. So I, I, I scheduled a parent meeting and I wanted, I started to hear stories and started to build relationships with these parents. And one of the parents shared a story with all of us. And he said, I got a kind of embarrassing story, but it's really funny. And I wanted to share with you guys today, but I went to Jack in the Box to the drive-thru, and I ordered a plain cheeseburger. Then when I got out of the line, and I got that plain cheeseburger, I parked my car just to eat that plain cheeseburger, because I was hungry, and when I took a, almost took a bite in it, I seen a little green lettuce sticking out of my cheeseburger. I opened up the cheeseburger, and there was mayo, ketchup, mustard, the whole works, and so I was furiated because I wanted me a plain cheeseburger. I just worked nine hours and I want me a simple plain cheeseburger at Jack in the Box. So I get back in the drive-thru with all my animosity and my anger and I chew the cashier lady out at the window out and I say, you didn't give me a cheese or plain cheeseburger. You got everything on it. And then the cash register in all her fear and humility says, sorry, sir, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken. So the mother, the wife explains that, well, pastor, he didn't have his glasses on, so therefore uh, KFC is right next to Jack in the Box, and he went into KFC. And this is what anger does, right? Anger makes us lavish out our flesh. But more or worse, the issue wasn't so much also the anger as much as it was his eyesight. Because his anger didn't just make him look like a fool, but he attacked the wrong person, wrong company. I think for a lot of us inside this room, we are, we are breathing, but we're not living. I can speak to you today. Some of us are going through the motions, and I get it, I go through it too. And what I want to do is I want to talk about vision today. We heard it in some passages where in the Old Testament it says people are, are perishing because of lack of knowledge. In other words, for knowledge is, is vision. And what I want to do, I want you to imagine right now. I usually don't start off with imagination concepts, but we're going to start, all right, with this text. I want you to imagine that you were on the top of Mount Nakea. And it was a clear, beautiful day. And you're overseeing north, south, east. And west. And obviously, you want to look at your hometown, Hilone. So we're going to look east. And we're going to overview Hilo. But from that vision, 16,000 feet above sea level, it's hard to see what's down in Hilo, right? From Mauna Kea. You probably could see some greenery and maybe, maybe the, the strip landing at Hilo International Airport. Maybe. But if you came off 16,000 feet and came down to almost mile marker 8 in Kalmana City, 
Do you know you have a better view of Hilo? For some of us, we're one or the other. We're either at that 16,000 foot view or we're at that 2,000 feet view. For some of us, we are at no view. But the way I want us to operate as a Ohana, biblically, I want us to look through vision, with vision, through the lens of the Bible. Now, there's so many different avenues and ways that we can articulate what vision looks like. In fact, let me give you a secular way, specifically from the greatest rushing running back of all time, Emmett Smith. He says vision gets the dreams started. Dreaming employs your God-given imagination to reinforce the vision. Both are part of something I believe is absolutely necessary to building the life of a champion, a winner, a person of high character who consistently at the top of whatever game he or she is in. So today I want us to look at vision. That is our worldview of vision when it comes to an athlete. But I want you to see what vision is through scripture. If you got your Bibles with me, do, would you turn your book, uh, Bible to the book of Habakkuk? Habakkuk or Habakkuk? I say Habakkuk. That's the way our Pentecostal said it um, when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, right? And would you stand with me in the reading of the word? We are normally going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, right now in the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to take a break this month from the Gospel of Mark. And I want us to see what Habakkuk says about vision. Now, this is not a vision directly from Habakkuk's uh, mindset, but God literally in the Old Testament spoke verbally and audibly to prophets. This Habakkuk is a minor prophet. There were major and minor prophets. And it doesn't mean that the major prophets was better than the minor prophets. It's just that the major prophet books have more chapters. It's longer than the minor prophets. And uh, Habakkuk has a short little Text And basically, this is what the book of Habakkuk is. You guys ready? God's glory to his people. God is revealing his glory to his people. I would also encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, you cannot know Jesus. You need a Bible, whether it's phone, whether it's iPad, smartphone, stupid phone, or we got Bibles back there. Have a Bible. If not, you can look on the screen and be encouraged by the word of God. We believe at Ohana Church, we don't get our revelation from feelings or mystical visions, but we get our truth from the scriptures. Amen. And so we want to I want you to read. I want you to read with me these beautiful words that Habakkuk pens in chapter two. Ho'omaukaukau. The author says, I will take my stand at my what? Watch post and station myself on the where? I look out to the sea. I look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my what? And the Lord answered me. Can I get a chihu up in here? Eh? Thank God that the Lord answers. He says, God tells Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, 
it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, all right, let me say that again. If it seems slow for everyone who's in ministry, wait for it. It will surely, help me out, come. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, it's coming. Tell your other neighbor, get ready then. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God, thank you for not delaying your word. Thank you that what is coming is a prophetic prophecy of Jesus himself. And we know looking back and looking back to the cross that this has already been answered. To your perfect son. So help us to articulate the vision you have given us. In Jesus, Jesus, mighty name we pray. God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. I want to share four things about vision. And then we'll be Pauhanam. Number one, vision begins with seeking God. Can I get a witness, right? How many of you, if you would be so honest to say that you consistently, when you wake up, the first, you don't need to raise your hands, all right, just in your heart to heart, I don't want to embarrass anybody, you would say that your first attention is seeking God, whether it's through the word, whether it's through prayer, what, how many of you would say that? Now, I will have to be honest with you, I'm not always perfect. For instance, this morning, what I thought was my alarm clock was a notification from Facebook. So the first attention is somebody posted on your feed, right? And so automatically my attention is not seeking God, but it's seeking what? Social media, right? How many of you like me, you get caught up in that, right? Well, I want you to say, oh, I'm the only one. Perfect, perfect Christians in this room. Hallelujah. All right. I, I want to share with you what it looks like to seek God. We drive this very hard. If there's anything you get from this church, it's not what you do for God, but what God does through you through seeking Him. Here's a reality truth about seeking God. Most Christians today are living life without seeking God. And because of it, we have very poor control of our lives because we don't seek God. The number one main issue, people, when they come and get counsel from me, is a direct connection with whether or not they're seeking God faithfully. Right? They're seeking, and if they are seeking God faithfully, they are seeking God maybe in a right, wrong manner. A wrong heart attitude. And what happens is that seeking God is no longer a, a joy, but it's just a routine without joy. Can I get a window? How many of you go through seasons like that, right? How many of you are in that season right now, if you'd be honest? Praise God. I mean, that's what happens. Seeking God, we never graduate from seeking God. In fact, if we look at our text this morning, Habakkuk tells you simply on how he sought God. In fact, it wasn't in his home. It was at his workplace. He was a security guard by the best word. He was at a tower and his job was to oversee the protection of the city. And while he was at his job, as we see in verses one, right? He uses the opportunity at his job to seek God. But for some of us, we limit our seeking God to our bedroom, to our closet, to a quiet spot, right? Which is important because I believe where he was was a quiet spot. But basically, seeking God is a place, any place, where you're isolated. 
In the New Testament, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 34, it's not on the screen, and 35, it talks about Jesus dismissing the crowds after great signs and wonders, and he did one thing why he dismissed the crowd. He went to a desolate place to seek the Father. He prayed. If you could weigh your life from a day-to-day scale on how you seek God, right, versus what you do in life, what would that look like, right? Would your seeking God outweigh what you do in life? In general, because if that is the case, right, you seeking God would be tremendously different from you doing life. Now, what we're not saying is that you, God hasn't called you just to isolation. He has called you to isolation for the purpose of doing life. Does that make sense? And for a lot of us, we, we say we are followers of Christ, but we do the one thing Christ has saved us to be, his child. His child. A beautiful picture is every morning at 6 o'clock, it's my kuleana, not Lane's, my kuleana to wake up the boys, right? And the first thing my boys always do, I don't know if your kids do, but we've gotten to this rhythm and routine of things, is they hug me and they kiss me on the lips. It's just something we've got it all there. And then we would make breakfast together, we would spend time in God's work together, and we will not leave the house until those three things are accomplished. Does that make sense? So sometimes I get to school late because we start off the daily. Nevertheless, before I even wake them up, I'm seeking God on my behalf so I can handle those three rascals. Can I get over this, right? I mean, because you got three different personalities over there. Kaimana, morning person, just like daddy. Kainalu, he's scrapping in the morning, right? Kainalu, he's scrapping, I mean, Kainako, he's scrapping Kainalu, right? I mean, there is so much going on in the morning. And what I believe is that God has not called us to do stuff for him. God has called us to seek him. The problem is people will isolate themselves and say, I don't have to go to a church to be a Christian. Well, oh, if you seek God, you'll realize you have to go to church. But that's not this sermon, right? That's another sermon. The sermon is totally about seeking God because you cannot grow apart from God's presence and where his people is, is where his presence is as well. So most Christians today are living life without seeking God, as we see in this text. And because of it, we have very poor control of our lives because we don't seek God. So if we want to hear from God, listen to me. If we want to hear from God, we got to be near God. And this is what happens. When you live on circumstantial theology... Your relationship with God is based on your circumstance and not proper theology. And so, so, and so now you question God, and instead of questioning is good, but when you question God without seeking God, then all you have is, is a life that's breathing but not living. And so we blame everybody but our own heart. I was accused this week. I love the accusations. You know why I love accusation? It brings fire in my heart. I was accused this week of calling one of our football boys a mahu. Now, if you know my character, um, I'm an intense coach. Let's just say that. All right? I got to deal with you guys, so I got to take it out somewhere. You know what I'm saying? No, just joking. I'm really joking. Um, this gentleman is a liar, but whatever the case is, I know I'm not perfect at all. I know I should be perfect being a leader of a church, and, and I'm striving for that. But he was lying. Let's just say that, okay? 
And what, would, what the enemy does when somebody accuses you of something. What does he do? Everybody, come on, help me out. Help me preach. You go, you go, Pupuli! The first thing in your mind is, who is the son of a gun that will tell that about me? Because I don't get him, his daddy, and his mama. And anybody connected with him. You know, that's how Hawaiians, we nuts, we crazy and all that. But I can't consider myself of, of my Hawaiian ethnicity. I got to consider myself of who I'm seeking. And I got to seek God. And so men, we have pattern, right? Men, we have pattern in our life. When our, when our, um, when our dignity is challenged, we tend to act the opposite of God, right? Women likewise. So when we are disrespected, then we're going to try act tough to make that other party know that I'm not scared of you, right? That is not the way we address issues. The way we address issues is not seeking the accuser, but seeking the advisor. And I would encourage you women, Facebook is not your advisor. Your hidden agendas on your posts. Even men. And men, stop texting me all your drama. Come face to face to me. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Stop being text warriors. All right? Come face to me and let's have a conversation, a godly conversation that, that makes us seek God together. Because I, I, like, I get it. I ain't perfect. I struggle. I need your brotherhood. I need your sisterhood. And most of all, we need the advisor to rip us from who we are. Because in our flesh, we will be the opposite of the advisor. The Lord Jesus. So what does it look like to seek God? Psalms 119 professes this. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your what? Commandments. Even when someone accuses us, let us not wonder. Let's look at to the cross. When Jesus was accused falsely, he took the accusation, right? And if Jesus did not take the accusation, we would have missed out on redemption, y'all. He takes the accusation. Now everybody will use excuses like, well, don't let my caring attitude uh, be a weak suit. All right? Don't let my giving attitude, don't let my posture of being nice, my kindness as weakness. Don't call my kindness as weakness. In and of itself, that's a prideful statement. Because our kindness, right, leads us to repentance, not accusations. Because what we tend to do is we act like the one who accused us. We accuse back. And our accusation has to be rooted in how we seek God. Job 5, 8, 9 says, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable and marvelous things without number? Job is a perfect example. You don't have... your. I know most of your lives in here, you haven't lost your spouse, all right? You haven't lost all your children. Some of you lost children. You haven't lost all your wealth. You haven't lost all your health. Uh, a man who understood suffering is right here, just like you and me, Job. And he says, God, it's you I seek. So the answer is clear, that we seek God and getting away from distractions all right, is one of the ways we seek God. We go to a desolate place. We go to an isolate place. So how do we seek God? Number one, we get to a desolate place. Number two, we pray. And number three, we pray biblically. 
How do I pray? So when I have the youth with me and I ask them to pray, and they say, well, I don't know what to pray for. That's a key example that our youth not reading their scriptures. And not just youth, anybody in this room. If I ask somebody to pray, it's in direct connection that they're not reading the scriptures. Because the scriptures teach us how to pray. And what we think is, oh, like in the church I grew up, oh, God will give you the word just from heaven and all that stuff. Hey, that may be true, but hey, I'm going to tell you right now, handicap style, he already gave you 66 books to pray. All one of you got that. Right? Just like preaching. I don't know what I'm going to preach on. You got 66 books. Preach on one of them. Right? Stop trying to feel Jesus towards you. He has laid it out. Now, there's nations that don't have this. And they, 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 can't, they, they do have a legitimate excuse. And so they have us to share that with them. So I want to encourage you that as you seek God, pray, meditate, get to a desolate place. Pray scripture and also pray relationally. How do we pray relationally? Everyone in this room is connected with someone that needs prayer. Can I get a witness, right? They have needs. They have wants. Now, determine on their situation, their wants and needs may be defined differently. Everything's a need to them. Can I get a witness, right? But whatever the case is, we are called to seek God primarily. Number two, vision overflows to writing it down. In the text, we see God clearly telling Habakkuk to write the vision on tablets. And he makes it very simple in this text. He tells us, I'm going to tell you something, Habakkuk, make it simple. Make it simple. I don't know if you know about church growth. I know many of you were rescued in this church, but in the 2000s, there was this movement called the Emerging Church. And the Emerging Church was about cool fads and cool things. and It was like Disney World, right? And it was about church growth. How can you make your church grow bigger? It wasn't primarily about the gospel of Jesus Christ, somewhere other, but it was about how do you get your church to be bigger? And what happened was, specifically our denomination, they started planning these churches, and they had probably the longest, first off, church name. Second off, they have like a 30-word mission statement. What do I mean by that? Well, we, like I would say, we are Ohana Church, and we believe that God in His sovereignty allows us to love Him through the beauty of Christ in this way, that way, they, 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 like keeps on going. And what God is saying to Habakkuk is to make the vision simple. Jesus made it clear. What was the vision? Love God and help me out. Love others. Oh, right? Everything else was the overflow of, help me out, love God and love others. And what we have done is we have made things too confusing for people. At the same time, we have made things too easy for people to go through church. Now, there's a difference, right? The clarity, the communication, right, is hard sometimes, but the process is easy. That needs to be a little bit different. The clarity needs to be simple. The process needs to be hard. Why? Just like an athlete, you're not going to get muscles overnight. 
There's a long process that needs to happen. And so what we believe at Ohana Church is the scriptures. We believe the Bible is the foundation of what we believe. In fact, on our website it says this. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God. Can I get a witness out there, right? And we're given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all scripture is authoritative, infallible, and inerrant. Meaning it's 100% accurate. The scriptures are fully sufficient and are the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We do not believe that other books are inspired by God in the same way as the Bible. Look at what the psalmist says about the scriptures. The law of the Lord, another word for Bible, scriptures. The law of the Lord is what? Say that big word with me. Perfect. Reviving. Look at what it does. I love this. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the what? Simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is what? Clean. I want you to see that word fear. Because when we think of fear, we think of Halloween boogeyman. Boo! Right? No, no. This fear is beautiful. This fear of the Lord is Clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired, right? You saw that? He didn't say music, the style of music we play, right? Not even the style of preaching. He's simply saying the scriptures, the word of God. It needs to be more desired than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So I want us to be clear. Here's a reality checkpoint for us. We can't expect to hear from God if we're not in his word. Now obviously the Bible does not address every single topic known to men. But it does address the most important topic. What is that? How to know God. How do we know God? We seek Him. And we seek Him in the Word. The visions is written down plainly. So the Word of Christ is the reason why we get to grow in Christ. That's why the biggest, the biggest thing on Sunday is the preaching of the Word. How do we say it's the biggest and most important thing? Because it's the longest thing that happens on Sunday. Have you ever wondered that? We make preaching. There are some churches that do everything else but preach the Word. And for our desire, we want you to know the word because it is God's word that conforms us to the image of his son. This year, we will provide intentional resources to encourage everyone in diving deeper in God's word. Number three, vision continues by communicating it. This is probably the biggest issue in Christian life. I think LifeWay came up with a new stat that over 60% of Christians never share their faith with their friends. Over 60%, now that's considered in America, do not share their faith. These are confessing Christians. Now whether that's true or not, the stat is they say they're Christians and they're not sharing their faith. But I believe a Christian can be timid to share their faith. And that's because we have done a poor job of discipling people through the word of God. So our means is programs. Our means is doing cool, fanatical stuff. Our things, but that drains you. Can I get a witness, leaders? The leaders in here who do most of the work. Doesn't it drain you when we, when we used to do a lot of events and all that? Like, I find no joy. Can, can I be honest with you today? I find no joy in being a church that has so much programs. I find no, you can get that in the world, all right? I find joy just sitting down one-on-one and hearing what God's doing in your life. 
Yeah, I find joy, even if it's we hunting or we fishing or we swimming or we whatever. I find joy sitting down in stinky old Spencer's gym club. All right. In cockroaches to the left. That's our congregation. Hello, aloha. Hello, aloha. You know, we like cockroach all over the place. And if you don't know anything, you're probably cockroach in here. All right. And I find joy in nasty, nasty slums like Spencer's Fitness Club and overpriced membership than anything else than doing us. Stinking block party. Can I get a witness out there? I find joy in that. I find joy just like everybody like, oh, I'm not going Spencer. There you did it. There you did it. Everybody going BJ Penn after here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but that's the reality, right? We must find joy in the Word of God. Like for me, one of our young men in my Ohana group, I was getting pretty discouraged in our Ohana group. Because, like, we didn't meet for three weeks. And last week, no call, no show, anybody. And so yesterday, like, oh, like, three people wouldn't show up. And, man, we said, talking, we talk about football for 45 minutes in our Ohana game, you know. And you may say, well, that's sacrilege. You should talk about the scriptures, too. Hey, we did that, right? It was after that book. One of the texts that I got from one of our young men, he texted me back after, after we did our Bible study, Life of Jesus, Father. And then he goes and he says, Kahu, I needed the gospel today. That's joy. Like, when you are leading someone with scripture, how will they look one year from now? Will their conversations be about block parties and what we did for the Lord? Or will their conversation be about the gospel and their intimacy with the Father and how God is ravishing? Even, like, even, even our leadership, our Alakai team. The one thing our Alakai team is tempted to do when we meet every week is to talk about ministry. It's a hard thing because we're constantly involved in people's life. But all I ask them is, I don't want to hear about ministry stuff. I want to hear about your time with the Father. And how do we hear from the Lord? Through His Word. Through His Word. Number three, it says, vision continues by communicating it. And here are two areas uh, He communicates in our text today. God communicates this. Number one, He communicates judgment. He says in the text, look at it. He says in the text that for those who have this tablet, when they have it, they will run quickly with it. What does that mean? This world is filled with transgressors. And the word of God needs to be imputated in those transgressors. Now, we can't imputate nobody with the word of God, but his spirit does as we verbally communicate it. Here's, here's the thing that happens, but as we communicate judgment, only God can ultimately judge someone. All right? Only God can ultimately judge someone. But here's the problem. This is a cough-out card as well. People who don't come to church a long time, right? They're going to justify they don't come to church a long time because only God is my judge. Have you heard that excuse before? Only Him. Now, now that's a cough-out card because God has called us to actually give an accountable judgment unto each other. You may say, how is that? Look at Matthew verse, chapter 7. He says, judge not that you be not judged. So that could be taken out of context. What it's saying, don't judge if you have the same issue. Don't be a hypocrite of judgment. It's not denouncing judgment. All right. He goes, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You, help me out, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Here you go, ready? And then you will see clearly, alright, to take the speck out of your brother. What is it saying? Make sure... That you are free from any judgment before you judge others. It's not saying that you shouldn't judge others. That is a lie in American Christianity today. American Christianity, the problem is we have told nothing but good stuff for people. God loves you. God's going to give you your best life now. God's going to give you this beautiful car. God's going to give you this beautiful mansion. God's going to give you this airplane. And what if you get, you don't get none of that. Who is God? A liar? We must communicate the vision of God and we must communicate it clearly. And here's another excuse that we use when something is communicated to us in the gospel, right? Well, I'm not perfect. How many of you use that excuse, right? Amen. We got a little bit more sinners in this room. All right, we get in there, right? I use that car too, but I'm not perfect. And then you know what I'll do? I'll justify it and I'll take him to Romans 7 because, you know, I know that text very well. Well, the thing I shouldn't do, right? I do and the thing I ought to do, I don't do. Right? It's easy to, yeah, Paul did it too. That's not what it means, but it means, listen to me, it means that we are transgressors in need of God's word. We don't may use the excuse card that we're not perfect to not be perfect. We use the card that we're not perfect to look at the one who is perfect, who is perfecting his life in us through his word. So if you come to me and you say, well, I'm not perfect, I'm going to say, but the one that owns you is perfect. And it is his job, not your job, to perfect you. And how does he perfect you? He washes you with his word. He washes you with his word. Look at this. We understand Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we also have to commute that there is, number two, redemption. In our text, it's clear. There is redemption. Habakkuk says it great in chapter 3. If you go on to verse 18, it says, I take joy in the God of my salvation. I am concerned. Even when we pray, it sounds like a funeral. Can I get a witness out there, right? Sometimes when I'm with our leaders and we're praying, it sounds like, man, this is like, I've been to better funerals than this prayer meeting right here, right? Like we're praying, oh God, woe is me. And I'm not saying that people can't be sensitive and all that, but the rhythm and the pattern of our prayers have been so crucified that we forgot we serve a living God. Like it's exciting. It's exciting to know that Christ has given us life in his name, not in our methods, not in these things that gimmicks that we do. I mean, last week's a perfect example, right? We buy, we buy over 20 pounds of steak. Half of the church leaves. Where does steak go? We all got to eat them up. It was a perfect answer. People don't care about steaks. They care about the word. They care about the word. And what we got to communicate is we have to communicate that the gospel, the vision we have, doesn't advance the, 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 the local church, but advances the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is a bunch of local churches worldwide working together. Lastly, and it would be Pahana. Number four, vision requires spiritual disciplines. I thank God my group, they're honest. We're supposed to be in day 24 yesterday, 
but half of them are still in day one. Can I get a witness right out there? Let's just be honest, right? Right? You know why? Because, because our people lack discipline. I'm telling you, back 20 years ago, literally, everybody had a Bible in their hand coming to church. It was a discipline. Because of technology, we have Bibles in some shape or form. Or, but here's the, this is what I'm saying. We can't allow culture and context to change our disciplines. We gotta let God's word to shape our disciplines. So here's some things I want us to shape. Number one, be completely dependent on God. Use your phones. Wake you up. Let the phone wake you up and the alarm says, get up and read your word, right? Number two, be committed to the vision, specifically of Ohana Church. Number three, be generous with your finances. I'm not saying just tithe and give your offering. When you leave this room, how are you being strategic in living, in, in living generously in the community? For me, I buy 10 McDonald's gift cards at a time. A $5, and I give them to somebody. But I just don't give them to them. I share the gospel with them, right? So just some tangible things like that. Number four, be wise. You guys ready? Be wise when you use social media. <laughs> oh, who's that? God. Sound like a female back there. Listen to me. Take it to Jesus before you take it to social media. Alright? At the end of the day, Social media is not your friend. For real. You have a friend in Christ. I'm not against social media. There's some great things happening. But this is what social media tells me. When you're putting all your things on social media on blast, that tells me you're falling off the vision. You're not spending time with the Lord. You're not running it by other people. Like you think this would offend people? Like You should seek counsel when you post something that you feel that you have concerns in. And if you're adamant about it, test it with scripture. Is this what Jesus done? Not if this is what Jesus do. Stop living mystic lives. Jesus already done the work. You just got to live it out. So this is what I want to do. I know we've, you, some of you are here just because you saw a video saying we have news to tell you. Praise God, we'll take it any way we want, you know? But there's some news I want to update to you that is going to be exciting. And... um. Only like a handful of you know. And that's why I wanted to share today that when Ohana Church was planted, it wasn't planted for the sake of just itself. Today we have planted nine extended church plants around the world. Amen. Small little fellowship like us. But in my heart... I came across this verse, Jeremiah 17, 7. And it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose trust is the Lord. And what that told me was God calling me out as saying, Zeke, Hoyne, you trust me? I mean, in my flesh, I said, no. Can I be honest? All you guys are perfect people in there, all right? Look at me. But in my spirit, I have to say, yes, I trust you. I trust you. And then in the midst of all that, I have a conversation with our leaders. And I told them what God laid on my heart in that small little verse. And you guys need to rejoice when you hear this because it's powerful. As of today, we're announcing 
the new church plant of Ohana Church KL starting this new year. There's many reasons why, but that's a different message for next week that's going to happen. But we knew that God was calling us to bigger things. And you may say, oh, that's just right down the world, uh, the, road, the, the road, right? But let me tell you something. Wait until you hear this next one. Because this next one is radical. We're going to give to God this next movement. And we're going to give 50% of our congregation to this new church plant. Did you know we have over 150 people that come in and out? Some of you are one-week Christians, two-week Christians. Oh, church attenders, let me change the word, right? Church attenders and all that. But did you know some of you, I think some of you, you just live too far. And sometimes... We need to realize that the kingdom is bigger than just one local church. The kingdom is about... So this is what's going to happen. In the next few months, we're going to call you guys out. This may split some families who live in Hilo and who live in Keao or Pune area. Because this is what we're doing. If you really want to trust in Christ, give them your life. They'll give them part of your life. And this is what we're saying. Hey, maybe a season you go there. You start them out, you come back to Hilo. Or it may be, man, you can say, man, God, you got me rooted here. I'm going to stay rooted here. Whatever the case is, the options are available. Nevertheless, we got to stop being Christians who are consumed by our own flesh. And before you put it up, the last one and most importantly, the question would be who would lead this? Because I promise you, God called Kahuzik to Hilo. Well, two years ago, you guys know that we addressed that we were praying about a couple to start a new work in Keao. And we already have addressed that the Kahu that will be leading that fellowship will be our very own Kahu Marcus McBee and his wife Sarah McBee. You, you like talk behind there. Get over here. How I? What does this mean? Our family gonna get smaller in Hilo. But listen to me. The kingdom will get bigger. If you are from the Pune district, would you stand up in the name of Jesus right now? Look at this. Half of the congregation is from Puna. Praise God. Amen. Stay up. Like I said, listen to me. The gospel is not about me, us. The gospel is about Jesus. You guys got something that the people in, some of the people in Puna, or majority of the people in Puna, don't have. Jesus. Therefore, I am going to approach every one of you by family and I'm going to love you to Jesus. 
And you make the decision to go. Ultimately, I believe in the text I told you earlier in our interview, in our Let's Talk story. Faithful is he who calls, and he will surely do it. Ruby, take a picture of this group right now. Would everybody lay your hands on a person that's standing right next to you? That's from Puna. All right? I get some leaders up here to lay some hands on the McBees. And this, those of you who are from Puna, this is not saying ahui ho, Hawaiians. This is saying, brah, our ohana going to get bigger. Amen. Because your obedience, oh, hold on, hold on, not your obedience. Got Christ's obedience to the cross. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell God, I need you more than ever. Because you don't see churches giving away half of their congregation. I told you, didn't I? Didn't I tell you from the beginning? This is not about our seating capacity. This is about our sending capacity. We're sending you out. If it's for a season, okay. If it's just for permanent, hey, better yet. But you will see this. What gets celebrated gets repeated. So get used to this Ohana Church Network. Because this is going to happen in KL too. This is going to happen in, in this church again. Why? Because people need Jesus. People don't need Kahuzik. People don't need the Thomas Eli Ohana. People need Jesus. When I die and I'm gone, I don't pray. They'll do one funeral for me. I promise you guys that. Don't do one funeral for me. Just live your life. Why? I'll see you again in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.